Jenny helped me get home. everybody welcome back to uncanny cinema we are going to be looking at possibly one of the most bizarre movies we've done for this show which uh is really saying something uh definitely one of the most bizarre widely released movies um that we've done or that you're likely to find just based on the uh the plot and content alone we're going to be looking at 2016's swiss army man it is a movie that was written and directed by Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, and they are known collectively as Daniels. So when you are, which I didn't know this, but when you are um, watching the movie and it comes up and it says, you know, it's like a film by Daniels, and that's all it lists. So they, uh, they're like a directing team, and they've given themselves that stage name. Uh, they're essentially music video directors, uh, or at least they began as that. They've directed maybe like 10 or so music videos. And then they did this. They wrote and directed this. So this is wholly original for them. It's not based on any existing property or anything. So they created this idea, and they ran with it, I, I would think, to showcase you know what they can do in terms of their directing abilities, but also to just put something very interesting and bizarre on screen uh since they haven't done any other features uh well there, there i guess there is one other thing but since they haven't done a lot of features it's hard to know exactly what their like sensibilities are if like every time out of the gate they're going to want to try to like push things and go in weird directions or if this was just sort of we're going to like do the weirdest thing we can think of i don't know but they do have a sci-fi movie coming up called everything everywhere all at once so that's supposed to be in the next like year or two uh, seemed like it seemed like COVID might have been uh, throwing that off a little bit, but uh, should be on its way. And then uh, Shinert, Daniel Shinert, did direct and I believe starred in a black comedy that I had heard of, but I've never seen called The Death of Dick Long. And it's something where there's like a fireworks accident or something. It's like a group of friends, um, but his partner wasn't involved in that one. So. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it's good or, you know, what it's about beyond kind of the basic idea. But so he did that. But as a team director, uh, you know, as the team, they've only done this film and they're working on that science fiction one. And then this movie stars Paul Dano as Hank Thompson, Daniel Radcliffe as Manny and Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Sarah Johnson. And then there's a handful of other character uh you know actors in some small parts but they really only appear toward the end of the movie 
as far as the plot goes, uh, I, I think we should definitely dig in. I, I don't want to just like give it all away up front, but I'll say at its core, we're focused on Paul Dano, who is a guy stranded somewhere on an island in the woods. There's some debate potentially, but he's stranded in some way. We open with him wanting to kill himself. And he finds uh, a dead body that's washed up on a shore. And that dead, dead body is played by Daniel Radcliffe. And that dead body is also farting kind of constantly. Um, and that's essentially our opening sequence of events. Him finding this corpse. And then from there, he decides he isn't going to kill himself. And he uses the body to propel the farts of the body to act as like a jet ski or motorboat to cross part of the ocean, to cross to another portion of land. There's some vagueness there, but that's like the first five minutes. So you're sitting there, and these are the sequences of events that happen, and the movie just continues to double, triple, and quadruple down as we go. Um, but yeah, so it's it's definitely a movie that's uh, trying to set itself apart in a lot of ways, trying to be out there in uh, its content. But we do have those two leads of Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe as like, you know, fairly big. I mean, Daniel Radcliffe obviously was sort of like a movie star specifically for Harry Potter. Paul Dano has been in uh, many films, uh, you know, in like smaller Oscar indie kind of things. So we have those guys anchoring us. And then Mary Elizabeth Winstead has a uh, small part uh, at the end and to some degree throughout. Okay, so uh, we will definitely be digging into everything on the plot and things that go on in it. But I'd say that's probably about enough as an introduction for our grouping here. Um, we've got, uh, I think everybody had seen this movie before. I had uh, shortly after it came out. But we have uh, yeah, one person who had recommended this had wanted us to do it and another person who uh just unabashedly loves it um so we've uh you know we've got some people who are definitely uh, big fans of this so first off uh rejoining us here we have chris coming back to the podcast hi everybody i'm hey, neither the person who uh suggested it or the person who unabashedly loves it so <laughs> i'll mark myself as present <laughs> To be decided. <laughs> For the uh, person that suggested it, uh, we have Jess returning. She's been on uh, a lot of our episodes, particularly like fantastical episodes. Uh, you're most recently on the Wendy episode. Mm -hmm. And uh, and you had, give me a list of a few that you thought were uh, worth looking at. And so uh, this was the first off of that list that uh, we're digging into. It's the most fartastical, so we have that. <laughs> Yes, the most fartastical. <laughs> Maybe tough to be topped in that. <laughs> All right, and uh, we also have rejoining us another regular here, uh, Jimmy, who uh, I think you called this your favorite movie of 2016, right? Uh, yeah, I think like 2015 or 2016 was where I started going, hey, I'm going to keep track of the movies I watch. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the year, kind of just rank how i feel i enjoy them and swiss army man was uh on top of a very stacked 2016 what were some other contenders do you remember 
I know. So I know 2016 had like you know some of the big fair were La La Land and uh, Moonlight. So that was number two, obviously. It may have well, been. You know. <laughs> it was number three after The Secret Life of Pets. <laughs> uh, but now here, looking at it now, like Sing Street, uh, Nice Guys, Hell or High Water, uh, Captain Fantastic, The Lobster, The Witch, Sully. And then Zootopia and Moana both that year. If you're a fan of the Disney Fair, which I am, out of kind of just being a dad, and those were ones I could watch and enjoy watching over and over again. Listen, I became a dad a few months ago, and I watched all of those movies as they came out, and absolutely loved them. Disney's well, you're going to be watching them a lot more. Killing it lately. I I know you all came to the Swiss Army Man podcast to hear people praising Disney, but uh, but they've They've been, they run a good, uh, they run a good creative ship, we'll say. They have some business practices that you can question, (laughs) but the creative side is killing it these days. There's a hard line between those two things uh, of what I support (laughs) and don't support about Disney. Um, But yes, Jess is also a a huge Disney fan, um, while also not having uh, babies. So uh, she, uh, so if you love Disney, Swiss Army Men (laughs) is what we've discovered here. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. All right, so uh, so that is the crew that we're going to be uh, looking at Swiss Army Man with here. So I'll just open the floor here. What do we make of the bizarre Swiss Army Man? I'll say that it's bizarre enough that I feel as though I need more pointed questions. Uh, there's so <laughs> much to dig into across the board here that, uh, that it's hard to just uh, give a generalized statement right off the bat. Well, Jimmy, Jimmy did come prepared uh, in our document with some pointed questions for us all, but we'll we'll mm-hmm. get to those in a bit. But this is sort of a an overall impression is how we open up usually. So I'm sorry that it's not up to your standards, Chris. With someone else, it's not about my standard. It's about uh, how how much is happening in different parts of this movie. That um, that yeah, I mean, I guess. I'll go first because uh, the other two clearly are coming in with more knowledge than me and will be a great capper to my rambling. Um, Yeah, I think it's definitely a wildly interesting movie um, with a point of view you don't really see coming into movies that often. Um, But it's still like, that's what gets me. Usually if I see a movie this weird, it's not as competent as this one is. Um, I feel like this really like nails the comedy inside of the weirdness. It points out the weirdness without like detracting from it. It goes in directions you don't expect. I guess my only my only big thing is it's like it's a very personal film as I watch it. It's about like it's about like one person dealing with themselves. So it's not you know sometimes I'll watch an artsy film and it'll be about like the human condition and this doesn't feel like that. Um, I don't feel like I walked away from this movie knowing more about myself than when I went into it, but it was a really interesting character study um, in this character's mind. It's about a human's condition. Exactly. (laughs) Specific man. Yeah. I feel like usually when I, when I see a a weird artsy film, there's like a, like I walk out of it with a message and this one, I didn't walk out with a message. So I didn't know how to feel about that, but I was entertained the whole way through. Uh, and it was thought provoking the whole way through. I just didn't like feel like I walked away with anything at the end. Um, so that's my overall, that's my general impression of the movie. So I'll say, hopefully, you walk out of this podcast with maybe more of an impression of uh, and a takeaway, and more of an appreciation for the uh, the 
the message the movie's trying to trying to give out because I think I'm there here for some, it. There's some messages in there, um, but I agree. Yeah, I, do. I, did. I definitely think like when there's some of these movies that are very artsy and very kind of thought or trying to be thought provoking, they almost come off as like I don't know too weird. Like the one I think of that I saw this year was I'm thinking of ending things. The Charlie Kaufman movie. Did any of you guys see that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw it. And it was a movie that I was like, I, I, you're doing weird stuff and good for you, Charlie Kaufman, for just being weird. <laughs> but it also just came off as him trying to like show how smart he was. And those really turned me off. Whereas this movie is like, let's look at a, like Let's take a weird plot and try and do something fun with it while also providing laughs and a pretty good emotional like arc to it. And I think uh, it hits everything. Um, on the head and, and really doesn't have like a, it's a tight one and a half hours. Whereas, you know, some of these movies, like, again, I'm thinking of anything. Something is like two hours and 20 minutes. I would say with this so. movie, uh, like, yeah, it's a weird concept on paper, especially like the first five minutes. You're like, I don't know if I'm going to stick with this, but I just love that it is. It's like fearless in that, it just goes and it's like, hey, are you on board? And they don't ditch like the weirdness of it, like throughout the whole thing, even as we delve into these characters and stuff, like they're still just like, yeah, there are farts to the whole thing. But like, I read that Paul Dano like joined the movie after a one sentence synopsis from the director that was like, the first fart will make you laugh, make you laugh. The last fart will make you cry. And it's like, yeah, correct. And it did. <laughs> and I was like, that's just a really, and they're just doing just the most wild things. But like, the more you spend time with these characters, the more you just like buy into it and it becomes kind of whimsical, even though it's fucking weird. And I think the actors are just outstanding. And yeah, I just think this movie is just like owning what it is the whole time. And I really like that. So I'm going to jump in here with some introductory thoughts. But first, I want to ask Chris, why does it look like you are in the witness protection program on 60 Minutes right now? Well, because uh, I thought my computer was making too much noise and I turned it off. And as soon as I turned it off, I realized that all of the light on my face was coming from a bright white computer screen. Gotcha. My voice has been changed to protect my identity, though. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yes, I mean, for me, like I'm I'm somewhere in the midst of this. I'm definitely not to the the level of Jimmy uh, that you are of like just unabashedly loving it. I like it. I liked it the first time I saw it. I think there's lots of good stuff in it. I kind of feel Chris on it. uh, You know, like where Chris is coming from to an extent, though, of like, I don't know by the end what I'm meant to walk away with other than that. You know, there's a lot of good there's a lot of good scenes. There's a lot of good. Uh, moments there's good you know interesting characters for what they are and then good acting the music is gorgeous um unfortunately as i was telling jimmy uh the soundtrack was only released uh like limited on vinyl and uh so it can't be you can't get it now um unless you want to pay a ridiculous price so because i would like to get that but uh so the music's great it's shot really well um it does some interesting things narratively which we'll dig into i mean even beyond the weirdness there's just some there's some stuff near the end that i think really it 
it takes things in a different direction, not just to be bizarre. It takes things like in a almost like veering back into a normal narrative structure for a bit uh, before veering right back out of it. So I like it. Uh, and, and like my overall kind of assessment was like, it's a movie that defies you to guess what will happen next. Because I don't know that you can sit there, you, you, you get a sense of like where it's headed to some degree, but then they keep throwing in different elements between the two main characters and certain revelations happen at different points. And then by the end, stuff seems to kind of like break down and change. And then you get the very end, which, as I said, sort of like veers back in on itself a bit. So yeah, uh, I will give it like absolute credit for being out there and being weird. And uh, I think like both Jimmy and Chris kind of indicated the idea of like, you know, there's plenty of these movies out there that are, are weird and they're trying to be weird. They're trying to be bizarre. They're trying to be a cult thing. They're trying to be like, we're going to put the most unusual thing on screen that you can imagine. And a lot of times they just aren't all that good. It's, a, it's an idea that might give be some kind of hook but it's not executed super well it's not executed artfully or maybe the acting isn't good but this is a case where it's like you've got two really good actors as your leads you've got two directors who clearly know how to shoot a scene how to shoot cinematography like just the cinematography of making something look good you've got amazing musicians on the soundtrack so you have all that weirdness but then it's being done by like insanely talented people so the end result is definitely even if I'm walking away from it like oh, I'm not like a hundred percent on this. It's still so much more satisfying than most things that end up getting that that are that are in this vibe um, that are going for that like we're gonna do the weirdest thing we can imagine. So um, that's kind of where I am initially. And I do want to add quickly that the other thing that's impressive, and and I'm glad you touched on the music because it's just wildly good. Uh, and the way they weave it in. I would love to talk about that later. But I think it's really impressive, like, for me, how well the jokes land shows that, you know, they're not just weird people making the movie they want to make. They know how weird a movie they're making. They can pull it back to reality to, like, land a joke hard and then, like, launch back into the weirdness. And that's that was one of the most impressive things for me um, when I say, like, how competently it was made. Like, the music and the heart and the humor were able to be, like, perfect as though you're not watching a movie about a farting boner corpse. Um, it's just really impressive that they have that range inside of this really weird movie. Yeah, plus I think uh, they do a great job of like keeping the movie just unabashedly earnest. Like there, You never feel like the, the movie's trying to do something like that it, it's, it's not trying. Like it, it wasn't set out to do. Like you really feel for these characters throughout. And again, that's, I think a combination of the two actors that they have. Like, I don't think I've seen anything that Paul Dano has made that isn't good. Mm. And say what you will about Daniel Radcliffe. Like, I, you know, yeah, he's Harry Potter, but he's at least made a lot of interesting choices since then. And he plays a really good corpse. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I don't know if his eye just drooped like that automatically or what, but he just looks like he was giving it 110% the entire time. Yeah, he uh, he positions his body in weird ways or, like, his his chin, um, it, you know, like, just in ways that look unnatural. And so the kind of maybe the first half of the movie, he doesn't speak. 
uh, roughly something like that. And so yeah, the you first think like twenty minutes it, or so. Yeah, so you kind of get a vibe that this is almost going to be like Castaway, but with a dead body that this guy's just like hanging out with. But then eventually, because the movie's very like magical realism, like there's there's you know, I mean, it, it, I it, I think you would have to. It's it's fantastical. But there's this groundedness to things, even though there are these like insanely fantastical things that are occurring as well. We're not like with wizards and you know dragons and stuff. It's it's all like real world, and then the fantasy kind of encroaches on that. But yeah, as it goes along, he like kind of relearns how to talk. So he's still a corpse, and he doesn't have movement. Eventually, as it goes along, he starts to regain some of that. But uh, but yeah, like even when he's like just a straight corpse. Or when he's, like, partially alive. Yeah, how he, like, is positioned and that, like, facial expressions and the way he, like, talks where, like, only part of his mouth moves. Like, it's not it's not just, like, oh, he's just a guy sitting there and they made him up look, look like a zombie. Like, yeah. he's, he's genuinely trying to apply himself to this insane concept. And I did read that he, like, they made a, like, a fake version. His character's name is Manny because the... Paul Dano doesn't know his name, so I think he just calls him Manny, just as like, uh, like a fill in the blank, like man. Uh, well, I, I guess, I guess Daniel Radcliffe self refers to himself as the word Manny. Yeah, he I says guess. Manny, but but you could you could possibly interpret it based on your version of what actually happens in the film that that is Paul Dano's version. So we can get into that, but uh, but yeah, I guess they had a like a fake version of Manny that was made like a dummy that they were originally going to use for like a lot of it or lengthy shots or something. And Danny Radcliffe's like, Oh no, I'm uh, I'm doing all of this. And so he's in like, they said he's in like every shot except for a couple like stunts where it was, would have been too dangerous for him yeah, to like do it. They throw but, him off a cliff. Yeah. Well, it said they like but, jet ski, <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, the point like any time it was like a stunt though he was the one like throwing the body so he like made it a thing of like no this is my character so i'm going to do this i did also hear that i guess uh there are a few images where as the for the, the corpse is farting um paul dano like i don't know either pulls the pants down on daniel radcliffe's corpse to get it more steam or whatever and I guess they actually, you know, they were just going to take, like, a a mold of someone's butt to use in that, yeah. like, scenario. And Daniel Radcliffe was like, uh, if you're going to do a mold of a butt, do my butt. Like, I, at least that way I know it, <laughs> it, it looks good. Wow. <laughs> I was like, whoa, wow. all right, Daniel Radcliffe. <laughs> Confident ass man. <laughs> I also heard that all the, like, basically all the farts that you hear were recorded from like the actors and crew besides <laughs> Paul Dano. I don't think Paul Dano did one, but I think Daniel oh, Radcliffe fitting. and like all the crew members recorded their farts. For I thought I, I thought I saw that Daniel Radcliffe actually didn't. Yeah. I think he maybe did, that's which it. was weird, which it seemed like uh, oh, that's okay. a choice, but maybe, know. yeah, it was in his British contract. thing. I'm sure. You yeah. Know? Yes. <laughs> but yeah, like uh, since maybe he tried there, and he just didn't have any good ones. <laughs> he just didn't have any good ones. They're all like airy. <laughs> But yeah, since we're on the the actors, I mean, we can dig into their like acting some more. We talked to you know a bit about Radcliffe. We can talk some about Dano. But but the thing that struck me like watching it or rewatching it is like we said like why Paul Dano picked it, but like Daniel Radcliffe, I feel is like 
he clearly said to his agent, get me the farthest thing from Harry Potter humanly possible. And if you look at some of the stuff that he's done in the last few years, like he did that movie Guns Akimbo, where he has like guns like bolted to his hands. I've never seen it, but it's something where he's like all strung out and like on this the is... run. I wanted to jump off while we're talking about this because I just watched that movie last week for the first time. Yeah. And I was always like, I didn't know how I felt about Daniel Radcliffe acting. Even the first time I watched Swiss Army Man, I was like, you know, he's playing a corpse the whole time. He's doing a good job, but I don't know how I feel about him as an actor. But like, I watched Guns Akimbo and he like sold it. I was, I don't know if anybody else saw it, but it's, it's such a dumb concept, but it's, it's definitely, it had a crank vibe to me. Just like, go 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 i really enjoyed it yeah i never saw it i i remember like uh there's a kind of a meme that circulated with him looking crazed with the guns in his hands and people have used it on twitter or something as like a reaction shot of like how they feel currently uh he just looks totally insane um but yeah so he did like that one he did um that movie horns which i've never seen and the quote or the like wikipedia for horns is Daniel Radcliffe stars as a man falsely accused of raping and murdering his girlfriend who uses his newly discovered paranormal abilities, which are connected to these horns on his head, to uncover the real killer. Um, and then he was also in The Cripple of Inishman and Equus, um, which are very dark plays. Um, and so, like, I just feel he is so desperate to shake Harry Potter uh, from, you know, like, I mean, I, I doubt he hates it, but like just to kind of be done with that. And then meanwhile, I think Paul Dano just said, give me the regular because like he just <laughs> always is playing like in something weird and dark. And as Jimmy said, he's always good, but like it seems like the bulk of his filmography is just like really out there or really dark or both. Yeah, they also both uh, starred in rom-coms opposite Zoe Kazan, Kazan, uh, hmm. Daniel Radcliffe's was called What If, and Paul Dano's was called Ruby Sparks. Ruby Sparks is the weird one, so Paul Dano did <laughs> that one. <laughs> um, and yeah, Daniel Radcliffe did like a straightforward rom com in 2013. It was really good. I've seen them both. I love these boys. <laughs> well, I mean, we could dig into like character or plot, wherever we want to go from here. I'm ready for these Jimmy questions that are going to make me reevaluate my entire <laughs> life and this film. Well, I can uh, jump right, in and well, like kind of describe the plot a little yeah. bit, which then can yeah, be... yeah, good, uh, yeah, describe the plot, and I've got like a breakdown of uh, what Radcliffe does as the Swiss Army Man for anyone who hasn't seen it. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll throw those out first, and then you because they, they're kind of unconnected to the plot yeah, largely. Yeah. But yeah, so so Radcliffe, you know, he's a corpse. And we already established that he is constantly farting, but in this like magical realist way, it's like it it's like almost like a rocket propulsion at times. And he also uh, Paul Dano uses him, like I said, as like a boat at the very beginning. Um, but other points, it's used to kind of like propel him or both of them. He has random erections that come up uh, at different points in the movie, and those get used as like a compass. Uh, they're not random they're caused by lady magazines <laughs> initially but i feel that they become random as they go along though then he also gushes fresh water sort of out of the blue not that any of these like totally make sense but this is like one of the more like yeah, he's like huh, a water fountain okay 
Yeah, so he gushes fresh water that Dano drinks from. Paul Dano's character also uses Radcliffe's teeth to shave his face. Um, so there's like an insert shot of him just like pulling his face up against uh, Daniel Radcliffe's teeth. Um, he finds out that the corpse's finger snaps make sparks. So that leads to him being able to make fire. And then he can also shoot things out of the corpse's mouth, uh, like almost like it's a gun. So like put like rocks or something else in there. And then there's sort of a karate chop action that happens uh, at some point where he's like realized if he contorts him in certain ways, he can get him to kind of like kick or like chop something. Um, so those are some of the, there might be a couple other uses, but those are the ones like with the title Swiss Army Man. This corpse has all of these insane magical properties that uh, kind of tie into the plot. But yeah, Jimmy, if you want to uh, roll with us for the plot here, we can go ahead. Yeah, so I'd like to get your guys' thoughts on kind of what what kind of movie it is that you think we're we're seeing throughout. Because I think the most straightforward interpretation of this plot, which granted is kind of a mouthful with it being a movie about a farting corpse that comes alive, but most straightforward interpretation is like Paul Dano's stuck on an island. This body rolls up on the shore. The body ends up being able to fart him onto mainland as a motorboat and then as kind of like a i'm so appreciative of this corpse like i'm gonna take it with me and let's find civilization and then as they are looking for civilization the corpse kind of becomes more animated and they basically become friends and it's all kind of stemmed around this cell phone that paul dano has that he's trying to get signal, but on the cell phone is a picture of a girl on a bus. And we're kind of led to believe that the girl is maybe Paul Dano's girlfriend or something. You know, she has, he has some sort of connection. Or maybe the cell phone is Manny's and it's his girlfriend. Because then Manny as the corpse is also kind of infatuated with her. Um, but as we move along, we kind of understand that. Paul Dano ran away from kind of civilization. Um, he's mostly because he was just, he didn't fit in. No one understood him. And that this girl that's on his phone is actually a stranger that he took a picture of that he just kind of had an infatuation with on the bus. And so as they, that kind of becomes a realization, a realization, it kind of changes the whole relationship between Manny and, and Hank. Until at the end, they kind of come across this random girl's house and find out that she's got a husband and a kid. And that's kind of what you were, uh, you know, leading to, Linton, of like this drop back into reality as we were getting yeah. more and more kind of fartastical, as, as <laughs> Jess put it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's, uh, I don't know, it's a story about like this lonely guy who... Yeah, was escaping his life and wants to end it. And then, you know, he doesn't even realize that Daniel Radcliffe's a corpse at first. Like, he tries to save him. In the middle of trying to kill himself, he sees another body and tries to save him. So it's like, obviously, you think that some life is worth living. And I think that the more he spends time with this corpse (laughs) and teaching him, like, how... 
I don't know, because at first, like, Danny Radcliffe, when he starts talking, like, he can't remember anything about his life. They sing the Jurassic Park song together, but then he's like, what's Jurassic Park? So he's just, like, going through basically everything. Like, this is your head, these are your arms, these are your legs, this is your butt, blah, blah, blah. Just, like, talking about everything that there is to know about life. And I think through the course of that, like, he starts to, like, he's basically teaching someone else how to appreciate life. And so in his own way, like, starts to appreciate it more himself. And so when we do meet this girl at the end, you know, it is kind of fucked up that he had this random girl on his phone. We can get into that. But, like, um, the first time they address it, he's just like, I was – he was like, I'm sorry, I was alone or something like that. I don't know. He said something of just, like, that was a mistake. I don't need it anymore. Um, you seemed nice yeah. or you seemed happy or something like you that. You seemed happy. I wasn't. Yeah. And it was kind of like, dang. <laughs> but I think like, yeah, I think he just goes through something and learns to appreciate life. And maybe that's the lesson to take forward. But not personally, but just like, this is the man's lesson. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I might get hung up a little bit trying to put it into like traditional storytelling forms. Um, because the way I'm watching the movie, the only time we kind of see reality as grounded by other people, um, is that part near the end where, you know, the cops are there, his father shows up, the family is there, weirded out, and they kind of go back into the woods where he was, and we find out that what in the movie was portrayed as a journey across the land, like, we see all of the sets they built to do their fake Jurassic Park and the bus and and the and the dance scene we see that it's all just in this girl's backyard basically so for me as i'm watching the movie and trying to put it into the storytelling lens that i'm used to the story is about paul dana's character what's his name hank hank the the story is about hank hank finds a dead body um and uses it uh basically because because he's teaching manny like how to love and who this girl is and and how to process feelings. He talks about his troubled past with his mom dying early and his father being absent, which we do see proof of in the real part of the world. So for me, as I'm watching the movie and I'm putting it together, it's like him teaching himself in the form of this dead corpse that he found, how to live life, how to find happiness, um, you know, trying to figure out what's wrong with him and like working through his demons uh, kind of thing. And then we, all of a sudden get bolted back to reality when we finally get out of the woods and in this yard and we have, you know, our 15 minutes of reality. But then we go back out to the beach and uh, the corpse speeds away again under its hearts and everybody smiles approvingly at Paul Dano's character. So for me, like the movie is viewed as um, we're inside Paul Dano's head for everything but that 15 minutes of the film. And then we go back into his head, you know? There was like a bear attack, um, and if we can say that's something that happened in real life, maybe that's something like the danger of it, like kicked him out of his his kind of crazy fantasy world, and then he kind of like as soon as he was confronted with the real world again, which is why I'm sure he ran away from the real world because he was having similar issues of acceptance and like not trusting where his own brain was taking him. Um, as soon as he's confronted with that again, he kind of dives back into the fantasy world and that's where we leave it i yeah i mean i guess that's one interpretation of the end and we can like open that up um yeah i I mean i guess i i came away with a different thing 
and I, I would say that a movie like this like leaves things to some degree open to interpretation. Um, I the thing I thought was interesting was they it, the movie wraps itself in very much an indie vibe in the music, in the shots, in these two young actors who we've seen in other indie movies, but even not just them. I mean, like any 20 something men or women in, you know, an offbeat kind of movie is very indie as we know. And so it has that. And as Chris mentioned, like they go through, he, he builds this fake bus out of trash and like sticks and stuff that are out in the woods. And he does like a play where he like does Jurassic Park and E.T. and all these things with like shadow puppets. And so there's all these like montages and there's this whimsical nature, even though we have like this crazy plot of this farting corpse and him like carrying him across like, you know, miles of forest or whatever. At its core, we have this kind of like fun, whimsical vibe. And I feel the movie brings you in. You know that Paul Dano isn't happy, but I feel the movie like puts you kind of on his side. It makes you sympathetic to him. So I feel when they get, they come out of the woods and they're at Sarah Johnson's house and uh, initially her daughter's there. And so they scare the daughter. And so she's terrified of like, what's, what are these people or what's this guy in this corpse doing? She doesn't know. Like, she's worried about like something happening to her kid. Um, they freak them out. And as Chris mentioned, the, the cops come in, the father comes in and everything. But I, I felt it was like, we're in this whimsical thing. And then it's just stark reality. And we, and that's where I think it, the movie takes a really interesting turn of like, it could have continued that whimsical thing for the entire an hour and a half. And I think you would have basically been on board. I think you would have rolled with the story continuing in a, some other keeping up the craziness to whatever resolution it went to. But yeah, then it comes to this, like, I feel like at that moment it becomes, oh, Paul Dano's just a fucking psychopath. <laughs> like, and it's always was, always was there. <laughs> like, like there were enough hints up to that point. Now he's not necessarily dangerous and he doesn't do anything to anyone, but like once that context clicks in, it's less of like an, a fun, whimsical indie movie into like, oh no, we've been watching a movie about a crazed hobo in the woods who's been playing with a corpse. Um, but then the the ending, I don't know, like, yeah, Chris, you're saying that it, the ending could be like a Travis Bickle thing where it's, uh, you know, it's in his head because you were saying that everyone was like smiling but not everyone is the um like one of the reporters is looking at this like what the fuck am i seeing right now and then but his dad's like nodding in approval like very like beer commercially well well some some of them are his dad's laughing and the little girl's giggling but like the cameraman just brings the camera up and is like odd at like what is this the reporter lady is like clearly bothered by what she's seeing and then the the last line of the movie is the Sarah Johnson character saying, what the fuck? And she's not like into it or giving approval. So my interpretation was actually that what we're seeing is real, that the whim, like the magical realism stuff of it theoretically was happening. Um, And these characters are now forced to kind of reconcile that they're seeing the same thing he was seeing. Uh, I, I I understand you could go with that interpretation that it's um, that that's all that's that that that's all fantasy, but um, 
but yeah, I guess it, it just seems like it would have been like completely happy if it had been fantasy and not some characters being on board with it and some characters being like, I'm very disturbed by what I'm looking at. For me, what broke it from magical realism into we've been inside of his crazy brain was when the cops stumbled upon multiple sets that like, cause they were supposed to be traveling across oh. the countryside and they found, I think the bus and the dance and uh, like the movie theater set all at the same time. Um, right. And they yeah. were all right there in her backyard. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, I mean, it wasn't like her backyard, but yeah, it's like down it, in the woodbinder house. Yeah. Near, nearby in the woods. But um, no, there's definitely, the movie is like poking at it of, the events that we saw are definitely aren't exactly as have been depicted. I'm just saying the scene on the beach, I don't, I, I think the reaction of those characters indicates to me that yes, they, they go over the hill and they see all the crazy stuff he built. And they think this is some crazy hermit who's been living back in these woods. And so that's all reality. I feel up until they get to that beach. And I think I felt it was still reality. And it was just that, the corpse can do these things so it's like it's it's a weird mixture of yes some of it wasn't quite as it was depicted but i i don't know like i could be wrong um and it's an interpretation thing but and that's why i couched my interpretation in you know i feel like i'm trying to view this through like a traditional storytelling like we're inside his crazy mind mm -hmm. whereas i don't know if the filmmakers wanted us to have have to make up our minds one way or the other. Um, I do remember early on my second watch, I saw that they were on like a desert island and I remembered the ending where they end up in the girl's backyard. And I was like, hey, wait a minute. They can't be on a desert island. And then I remembered that the next scene was them like wave running on a farting corpse. And I was like, never mind. I'm thinking too much about this movie already um, and how they're how they're presenting the truth or not truth to me. I think that as filmmakers, they may have made a decision to muddy the line on purpose mm. um, so that it's not about figuring out the truth or figuring out, you know, what's really going on. It's about the emotional core more than uh, figuring out the world building aspect of it. Jess and Jimmy, where'd you land on the uh, last stretch of it, we'll say? Um, I think, yeah, like once it enters the real world, it's really jarring. It's really upsetting. Because you just realize how like unequipped Hank is to handle real life situations. Like he just seems so pathetic, and you know is like shrinking in this girl's presence, in the kid's presence, and just like you know the media comes, and he's just like I don't know what to do. And the most fucked up part was like him. So basically, they put Manny in the body bag, and they think that the dad that shows up is Manny's dad. And so they're going to show him the body and he's like, no, I don't want to see it. So he thinks his son is in the body bag and it's like, and Hank is just hiding behind the ambulance. And it's like, dude, watching, you it. Can't, watching like, it happen. Yeah. Like just hiding behind an ambulance watching. And I'm like, you're just letting, going to let him walk away thinking that you're dead. And like, oh, it's just like rips your heart out. Cause you're just like, wow, this dude is struggling. I just felt I don't know. I did feel for him because I was just like, how fucked up is your relationship with your dad that you were just going to like, eh, he can think I'm dead. It's fine. <laughs> like, I'd rather face that than face talking to him. <laughs> and I was like, oh, so I guess 
I don't know. I was ready to get back into that whimsical world because I was like, this is a lot. This is, I'm caving under this. <laughs> well, I think that's what makes this, this is why I love this movie so much is to all your guys' points, like it's not as straightforward as, eh, it's all in his head, right? And to uh, to some of the points that were made, like they kind of layer it in like, they they get you with these two characters they get you to a point where you were kind of like, oh man, they're having a great friendship. You know, maybe some of it's not in his head, whatever, but you're like all in. And then when they go into, you know, the quote unquote real world in Sarah's backyard, like it's, it is meant to be jarring. And I think the whole point of that is, and here, follow me here. <laughs> so I don't, it, I don't think it matters one way or the other if he like was actually on an island or not at the beginning of the movie. I don't know if he was actually on an island or if he was just like, him on the beach thinking he was on an island but regardless a corpse shows up and the corpse is farting right so this whole movie amazingly is about farting and it works and (laughs) paul dano's character is so like uncomfortable with himself and his own body and I think it's some of the things that his parents had done. Some of the things were like, he in society just does not fit. And then you, like, he's getting ready to kill himself because he clearly is depressed. And then this corpse shows up and just can't stop farting. And he is a guy who even goes out into the woods and doesn't fart in front of the corpse that he's pretending to be friends with. And it makes me love that line. I think the line was like Daniel Radcliffe's like, if my best friend is keeping his farts from me, what else is he keeping from me? <laughs> um, but I think it kind of, like, the rest of the movie is that spark of, like, Paul Dano sees this farting corpse. It kind of makes something click in him. And the rest of the movie, when he is becoming more and more friend or better friends with Manny, Manny represents, like, his own soul or his own self becoming more comfortable with him, his own body again. And once you go back into reality, Manny dies and is a corpse again because now he's surrounded by cops and reporters and the per- the girl that he has this infatuation with. And he, like, you know, kind of just goes back into his shell until he finally goes, like, no, I'm getting out of here. And then he takes the corpse and runs away. Well, he farts. And the corpse farts again. Yeah. yeah. He does. And then he farts. And then yeah, he, he farts, says. yeah. It was me triumphantly, and I love everyone's reaction. Yeah. It's just like, and apparently it was a great fart. It was a big one because, like, they're fifteen feet away, and they're like, "Ugh!" I'm like, "Wow, that's powerful." And I love the way they shoot it because it actually shows the pants like kind of flapping. <laughs> exactly. He also had been living off of like raccoon and squirrel meat for a while. And cheese puffs. Fucking foul. Yeah. And another. Another, if I'm going back to the truth matters, uh, finding like the cheese puffs and all the garbage on the desert island. I think yeah. he found the cheese puffs on the desert island, which again makes like, me feel like he was just backyard. in someone's yeah. backyard. No, that was that someone's was after backwards. that was after was he that got after back. his yeah oh, okay because like but... he got back and then he found those and it was like kind of the salvation moment uh, as yeah. gets presented and he runs over to Dana Radcliffe to like show him. I mean, yeah, there's definitely stuff of like I mean I think even if you think about the geography of it of like how it could make sense that he's on he's stranded on an island 
that nobody knows he's there or can get to. And yet, even if we accept, okay, so Radcliffe can do these things as the corpse, how far away is this island from land? Um, so you, and he admits get... that he he admits that he ran away uh, to yeah. da- to Manny. Um, so it's hard to like. Usually, a desert island, there's a plane crash or a shipwreck. Not like, oh, I ran away to this island that no one can get yeah. to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then at the end, like you know, they they run through the woods behind the lady's house, and then they he initially he's ta- he's stealing Manny's corpse, and he initially gets him, and he's in like the river. And he's pushing him through the river. He's on, like, Manny's on a, like, whatever they had him on, the cart for uh, the paramedics and stuff. So he's, like, pushing him through. It's floating. And somewhere the cops mention, oh, he's probably just another bridge jumper. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. So that implies that, like, okay, so the corpse presumably, you know, like Danny Radcliffe's character presumably killed himself over some river and drowned. Um, But, yeah, then somewhere in there, like, the geography gets muddled and i think intentionally so because then we go from this suburban house to like stark woods to now a river and then suddenly they're on a beachfront like so i mean not that these geographical locations couldn't exist in the world but it all seems real sudden so in my head i had it like placed in the pacific northwest with like the way the trees were and the rocky beaches even though I don't think it was filmed there, so it's weird that that's where mm-hmm. my head went. Maybe because it's just wet all the time. I don't know. It's constantly <laughs> raining. Also, just like the uh, that line in a different, yeah, I guess the uh, probably just another bridge jumper is like it's so striking because you're spending this whole movie where Hank is trying to tell Manny like what his life was probably like. It was beautiful, romanticizing it the whole time, and then just like. The paramedic show up and is like, ah, he killed himself, whatever, let's go. And it's like, oh my god, like, you just reduced this guy's life to nothing, and it's like, that's reality, okay. Ugh. It's hard. <laughs> Jimmy, uh, I think you had some questions for us. Uh, yeah, I actually, so I was taking down a handful of, like, the quotes throughout the movie, because, like, they were just killing me. Um, I was... This is probably the third, I think the third time I've seen this movie. And I was just still laughing, laughing out loud throughout. Um, but I didn't know if anyone else had taken down like some of their favorite quotes or if anyone had a favorite quote in the movie. Mine personally, I think was like, <laughs> he was singing their Jurassic Park song to Manny and, you know, Manny's like, I don't know Jurassic Park. <laughs> and he goes, if you don't know Jurassic Park, you don't know shit. <laughs> That is literally the one I wrote down. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> There's so also, many good ones, though. Jess was in our video chat with the name Laura Dern, which, again, was yeah. a fantastic moment where just, yeah. he remembered that Laura Dern was in Jurassic Park and didn't remember the film at all. Yeah, he was trying to remember the name of the girl on the cell phone. He was like, Laura? It's Laura. Dern? There's <laughs> like, God damn it. <laughs> I think Daniel Radcliffe has some of the best line deliveries. Oh, yeah, he was. Oh, yeah. Like, it's so funny. You know, because he's so straight-laced for the most part in uh, Mm -hmm. Harry Potter. Um, You know, I I didn't grow up watching those. I watched them a few years ago for the first time. And, you know, it's like, and he's he's good uh, in that role. But it's, (laughs) you know, it's it's like Superman or a lot of other characters where it's like, oh, you're just the good guy. Uh, You know, go do this, save this person. So he doesn't get a whole lot of 
room to maneuver in those movies. But yeah, he's he's genuinely funny, and and we already mentioned kind of like how he goes all in on the corpse stuff. Um, I had to look this one up, and I know there were lines that I was laughing at, um, but I don't know off the top of my head. But when you pose that to us, Jimmy, I had to look up because I knew there was like one key one I really like. So as Jess and others have mentioned, uh, Paul Dano's kind of reteaching Manny about life and about all aspects of life, um, about his body and about how the world works and all this kind of stuff. And he creates this fake bus and they go through stuff with this, you know, Paul Dano dresses up in drag to be the girl stand in at points. And then they, they're doing all the like Jurassic Park and E.T. and all that kind of stuff. And he's got uh, Manny staring out the window at points. So there's like different things that Manny has been doing over the last like 20 minutes or so of like learning about life. And at some point, masturbation gets discussed, which is where like the erection stuff comes into play because they come across some like, uh, you know, like random what was it as sports illustrated um that's out in the woods so so masturbation ends up being talked about in a couple different scenes and manny or uh paul dano uh what, what's his name? hank doesn't uh doesn't explicitly want to talk about this and manny's curious so there's some back and forth and then there's the line of like from manny i don't know exactly what masturbation is or how it works but I guess it probably feels a lot like the wind in your hair or driving really fast in a car or taking a bite out of your favorite food or dancing with your friends or singing your favorite song or riding the bus or looking out of windows. And he like definitely hits like they knew riding the bus was a laugh line and it got it for me. But it's like it's so sincere from that character, which makes it extra funny because like for him, riding the bus is an amazing experience because it's like, oh, it's one of the first things I've done since being real alive, And like I'm here with my friend. So he doesn't mean it in a in any negative way. Whereas any audience is going to be like riding the bus that fucking blows. Like that's not fun. Or like looking out of windows. Also something we would just be as like, Oh, we just take that for granted. Whereas all the setup lines are like, Oh, favorite food, dancing with friends, singing your favorite song. Like, okay. Yeah. Those are, those are good things. But then riding the bus was just such a great uh, laugh line. But while all this is done, they're showing like montage clips. Some we may have seen and some were like new or new versions of scenes. And it's all presented in this like sweep you up, give you these good vibes things. So you've got, Indie it's, movie, it's like, <laughs> yeah. So it's, you have like this sincerity going and then it's, you have the weirdness going of what's actually like, you see this corpse, like with his like grimace smile, like fake dance. Cause he's like, strung up like a puppet to dance so you have this weirdness you have that indie vibe and then you have just like some solid comedy hitting so um i don't know jimmy maybe you're right maybe this is a really good movie from 2016 i don't know also is uh i'll just say real quick paul dano's physical acting as mary elizabeth winstead is like (laughs) pretty good like i've seen her in other movies and he kind of nails it (laughs) with his like garbage wig (laughs) Yeah, him, when he's playing her, it's so, uh, he's so great. Um, Another line that I loved uh, along the masturbation route (laughs) is, uh, which is like, Hank reveals that he like doesn't do it because his dad fucked him up when he was little and told him like, you know, it's bad and like whatever. And he has this thing, I forget exactly what he says, but 
it was very scientific of like, well, you're just going to age faster. The yeah, more the more you, you masturbate, like it cuts yeah. off years in your yeah. life. <laughs> and like so smoking. his mom was trying to be sweet and be like, well, if you masturbate enough, you'll catch up to me and we'll die at the same time. I'm like, yikes, but also, okay. <laughs> uh, so then uh, Manny is like, well, I'm going to, oh, because then he's like, oh, the kids made fun of me because they were just like, uh, hanky, no spanky or something. I don't know. It was like fucked up shit that kids were teasing him about and just like jerking off to his mom and like all this stuff. And so Manny was like, I'm going to masturbate to your mom so that you won't be the only one. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. He's like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> it was so good. Yeah, the sincerity, I think, is what definitely sells some of those lines. Yeah, he was just like, this is sweet, right? I'm going to masturbate to your mom. <laughs> yeah. And there's another one that I really enjoyed that was, uh, let me see if I can find it here. Oh, when he uh, first learned what sex was, Manny, <laughs> and he's like, I want to have sex. And then he asks, uh, he asks Hank, hey, Hank, remember when you put that cork in my butt? Did that count as sex? Because <laughs> he corks his butt so he stops farting. <laughs> Uh, I really enjoyed it was like low hanging fruit but for some reason it really tickled me to death the delivery when Paul Dano was like you're some kind of multi-tool guy <laughs> like the anti-titular line like, yes. just the delivery was so <laughs> good and so like <laughs> just dumb and I liked it hey can we uh, I know we talked how good the music was but can we yeah. talk about the music a little bit more because yeah. I think there's, there's some I'm, other I'm pieces of music. talking that's... about good uh, soundtrack music. I think that's part of the reason why I love this movie. And, like, I if I look back at all the movies that I really, really enjoy, 98% of them have either, like, really good scores or just a really good, like, soundtrack. And this definitely hits that, that it mark. It adds a lot every mm-hmm. time. And it's not just, like, the music. It's the way that they, like... Put the music in there. Yeah, I don't want to steal Jimmy's thunder if that's what he was no, about to go talk for about. It, Chris. No, steal just it. like all of the music comes from Paul Dano's character. Like the very first music that happens, he kicks it off singing vocally. Um, that happens a few times. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe kicks off a few songs. The other songs are like clearly like things that Paul Dano said are like weaved into the music, and it's like or him singing in the background. Um, I think it's so impressive how all of the musicality in it came from his psychosis along with the magical, like the magical realism aspects. Like it all comes from like everything that's happening in the movie, including a really impressive soundtrack. It's like coming from inside of him. And I think that's amazing. There's a gorgeous uh, rendition of Cotton Eye Joe. He just (laughs) mentions he's like, why is it the most annoying sound that gets stuck in your head? And so there's like, it's a beautiful version and they keep singing it throughout. But like, yeah, the, I forgot that they sang all the music as it was happening. Uh, And so that first song, I was just like immediately like chills and tears in my eyes, like second viewing. I was like, (laughs) Oh my God, this is so good. (laughs) Yeah. The, uh, so if you haven't seen the movie i'm sure it's probably at least partially in the trailers but the music is i'd say you know very 2010s kind of indie sound i mean i would hate to you know some people might disagree with this but kind of a mumford and sons-esque in that kind of vein of like multiple singers and has kind of a folksy 
but there's like a coral vibe where you have like uh, multiple people going at once and trying to hit this like make it sound like classical and i don't know if they're did anyone catch any of the instrumentation or the like guitars at times or maybe a lot of drums yeah almost like a lot of it they even show them like like, banging on like banging sticks on logs that's kind of a lot of it's like almost like a vocal bass and like almost acapella like like that's kind of the theme that gets like hummed or laud throughout and then yeah as just said there's a, a crazy version of cotton eye joe and also the jurassic park theme mm-hmm. gets uh done uh by the characters I, and uh by the musicians i would love to be in the room where they got permission to use the jurassic park theme yeah. so heavily in this movie <laughs> yeah, yeah they caught steven yeah. on a good day <laughs> well was this uh was this released by universal because that's usually uh that's an easy mm. way to to make it happen don't know while you're looking that up i'll also just say uh the thing yeah i mean the thing that kind of just really makes this music interesting is like it's the care it's like you said the psychosis it's the characters that are are making the music and hearing it and it's kind of all just the lyrics are just things that you're seeing on screen and i had mentioned it before but uh every time i see this movie there's a particular song called Montage, which is the song that plays over top of the montage in the movie that just gets stuck in my head for days. And the the lyrics in that are like start off by them just like singing like pop, popcorn, pop, popcorn. Because <laughs> in the movie, they're popping popcorn. And then it just goes along there and it's like, you know, I killed a raccoon <laughs> shooting, like using your body just like a machine gun. And it just... It, it's in my head. It was in my head all day today, and I wasn't all that upset about it. I also read that for this movie, they did the entire score before the movie was filmed, uh, and they were actually playing it on set while oh, they nice. were doing, like, while they were filming everything, which is pretty unheard of in a movie in, in the film industry. Um, it's usually the other so, way around, right? Yeah, they usually will take a look at, like, the finished edited footage and then make music to match that. But in this case, they had all the music ready to go. They had everything storyboarded, and they so the actors were actually listening to the music as those scenes were being filmed. Singing along. <laughs> wow, that's cool. Well, so I just looked it up. So it is not a universal movie. It was from A24, unsurprisingly. Mm-hmm. A24 puts out the weirdest things possible. And, and I think awful. they actually they didn't buy it until after uh, it hit the film festival circuit is also what I read today. So they didn't produce it. They just uh, distributed it. So I think it was a full indie film. Okay, well, yeah, so I, I just looked, I, I tried to dig into it a little bit here, and it said, uh, so Daniels, so I think, uh, well, I, I think that's referring to both, you know, both of the directors. Daniels had a fanboy moment when they had to write John Williams to ask if they could use the Jurassic Park theme song in the film. So since they don't actually use the official score version, you know, like they don't use the one from the Jurassic Park films, that would require Universal's licensing. But since it's just the theme, the like melody, maybe John Williams does like retain that somehow. Hmm. So maybe they don't have to get clearance from wow. Universal. They can just get clearance from John Williams since they're doing cover versions of it. Um, but yeah, that, that must have been at least partially how it happened so i'd love to uh, see if they had to like write a letter to like 90 year old john williams to say we're making a movie about a farting corpse 
We'd really love to say use no team. more. I think he'd be on board. Yeah. <laughs> also, before I forget to talk about it today, I was looking up Daniels as a directing duo because uh, I hadn't really seen anything by them, and so I decided to go back and look at some of the music video work. And I looked at their video for "Turn Down for What," yeah, which is also very boner forward. I noticed that <laughs> after watching this movie too. <laughs> like it's it's a motif in their work. <laughs> Uh, there is, uh, throughout the music video, a man with a boner that is just wildly swinging around inside of his sweatpants. But it works. Oh, I've never seen that video. <laughs> it works. Uh, I hadn't either, and let me, let me set the stage. There's a, there's an angry man on a rooftop, uh, and as the beat drops, he just body slams himself into the roof and falls into an apartment, uh, with... The lady from, she's in the progressive commercials with the guy with the sign, and she's also in Glow. Oh, yeah. okay. No. I thought he was going to say Flo. The, the, the. She's in Glow. Uh, Indian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, she's Indian. Yeah, I think she's Indian. Um, she's in Glow. She's in the room, and he just starts, like, grinding on her TV and humping her TV and grinding on things in the room. <laughs> and then as the bass drops again, she's finally on board, and she, uh, like, he's on the ground. She stands over him, and she, like, like comes down on his face so hard that they crash through into a, a, a family's apartment <laughs> and then they dance some more uh, and the family starts getting into it uh, including one like older hispanic lady i want to say an older latina lady who's who has large breasts that are just like going all over the place uh, they all crash through the floor again and end in a party Sorry that I'm taking so much time to describe this, but it, <laughs> blew, me, it blew my mind. It's an um, excellent some cops music came video. In, some cops came in, one of them motorboated the lady, everybody's dancing, you know. Wow. Incredible. So you're sensing a theme is what you're saying. So there's a theme in their work. <laughs> so another question I had for you guys, uh, knowing, you know, like, Obviously, Paul Dano and Dana Reich have played these characters really well. We're kind of on board and we're on, like, Hank's side the entire movie. Um, but it was something I kind of thought about as I was watching it this time around. Is if you think, of, like, I think you had brought it up, Chris, where it's like, so really he's just a guy who ran away and is living in this, like, girl's backyard that he's afraid to talk to and making this world of make believe and talking to a corpse all because like he can't really like fit into society and like talk to you know a girl on the bus so almost made me wonder like is paul dano's character like an incel is this kind of like promoting and making us like and you know kind of like incels like oh no (laughs) i think he i think it goes i think his problems are further than that and so he's not like he's like so out of touch that he couldn't even be part of that community basically like (laughs) he he doesn't know how to be a part of any community and i feel like again his dad's reaction when we're in the real world is kind of just like oh this like he's not surprised by anything that's happening so it seems like (laughs) this is something that's been going on through paul dana's life uh through hank's life this whole time and i think he's like far enough gone and off meds that i think it's like well beyond (laughs) like being upset and joining a community like he's like a lone wolf basically he's also not depicted as like violent or angry so that would set it apart i mean he's essentially just sad 
you know, just utterly depressed and sad. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think it, I mean, obviously when he comes out of those woods with a dead body and that lady discovers him talking to his daughter, she's well within her rights to be freaked the fuck out of her mind. But then she's like, Oh, I think there's something wrong with this guy. And then she like calls the cops, social services or whatever. So like she kind of quickly morphs from this guy's dangerous to, Oh no, this guy like something happened to him or he's been hurt. She doesn't know what. Um, so yeah, I mean, while there's definitely, once the movie switches into like real world, there is kind of like us, I've, I'd seen this before, but I feel there's almost this sort of like, is he going to do something now? <laughs> like, is, you know, like how real are we going to get right now? Um, but I mean, he's been presented so, you know, um, essentially harmless for as insane as he has been the whole time. Yeah, there's never a sense of like, um, but I'm a nice guy and why won't you? Like, he never even communicated with her, so I wouldn't go so far as like the incel route. Um, I'm also just wondering right now, like, who called the media? Like, did she call social services and the ambulance and also the news? I don't know why they showed up. Maybe it was like a police scanner situation. Yeah, they could, like they this could have guy been tipped off if somebody discovered a body. But they I think they're that... talking to Manny. Well, I know, and... but no, no matter what, like the police would get a report that like a guy just came out of my woods with a dead body he found, and so like I, 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 I would think like reporters have like people yeah, on the precinct that true. would tell them like, here's some weird shit you might want to get over here. Yeah. I do think that scene gives a really good like. Um, view of what his world is because like there's so much going on when things get real because like different characters know different things at different times so you'll see him like having a triumphant moment with the media in the foreground or like the police are like what's this fucked up shit in the background and then like uh mary elizabeth winstead character sarah is that her name sarah. is like sarah Johnson. she's she's like really concerned about him and then like kind of like oh wow this is a this is a crazy story and then like oh no what the fuck is going on how does this guy have my pick like there's so much interweaving in that like five to ten minute scene that you kind of see where you know yeah life is hard when you come out of the woods and you're taking (laughs) pictures of women on the bus like deal with it dude (laughs) yeah i don't uh the whole like i think it makes total sense whether or not everyone else is in a whimsical world, for her to end the movie with "What the fuck" like makes total sense to me. I'm oh, just yeah. like, she's well within her rights. I don't care. Like, like <laughs> it's I fun to watch care. her ride. Her ride is so much fun because at first she's like horrified that this dude and a dead body are there, and then she's like concerned and like caring, and then she's like, yeah, it's like it's a wild ride to watch what she just watching the movie from her point of view is <laughs> yeah. craziness. It's also wild because she was like an established actress at that point, and she's in like five minutes of the movie. Like, yeah, uh, whoever cast this thing, like, <laughs> I don't think it could have been what it was without them. Like the uh-huh. cast of this movie, it's one of those things where like I can't imagine. Like, like, it goes back to my point at the beginning. Like, it was so competently made that it can pull off wild levels of weirdness just because everybody in it is so earnest in going hard in the paint on this concept yeah yeah especially yeah 
I mean, Radcliffe and Dano, man. I can't. I can't love them enough. <laughs> I just think they just. The movie doesn't work without them. I can't think of anyone else who would approach this the same way. I. So impressed with Daniel Radcliffe. Like, I. I don't know, because I obviously didn't see Equus. I've seen all the Harry Potters, saw him in a rom com, and I'm like. He's good. I like him on like late night interviews. He seems like a charming dude, but like this kind of put him over the top for me. I'm just like, wow, this guy's fucking great. <laughs> like, yeah. He was in the uh, Kimmy Schmidt special they did, the like after the show was over special, and he plays mm -hmm. a prince, like a weird prince character that she ends up marrying, and he was like really funny. Like he kept, he held his own with like super talented comedians from that show who'd been doing it for like four years. Plus, I mean, he his face at the end of the movie, like when he's, when he's like, riding away, a while, yeah, that smile <laughs> is just the perfect end to this movie. Like it gets me, I every time I'm just cracking up at the end. <laughs> but you're supposed to cry at the last part, Jimmy. You cry and then you, you do, laugh. and then you see his face, and you're like, "This movie's gold." <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, did you have any other uh, questions to throw the crew? Uh, I don't know. I think we touched on most of them. You know, Daniel Radcliffe, great. Paul Dano, underrated actor. Yeah. You did uh, ask, 20... should Daniel Radcliffe have won an Oscar? That was yeah. One of I, was I just... don't think he should. I think he should have <laughs> at least been nominated. But I'm looking at the year, the and I'm like, yeah, this is a good year. <laughs> I, in your defense, I'll say I think the performance was good enough to warrant like being nominated for acting awards and for an Oscar. I don't think this is the kind of movie where anyone would ever win anything for it in the Oscars. And that's not that's not good. I wish mm -hmm. the Oscars would award weird shit way more than they do instead of just the most boring biopics imaginable. We but, got Parasite. They threw us one bone in the past but I don't, 10 years. But, but I wouldn't say, but I don't think, I mean, Parasite takes us some weird places. Parasite is nowhere near as weird as this. No, it's not. That's true. But for the Oscars, it was, it was something. For the Oscars, yeah. I was proud of them. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and they, they have been uh, taking some more chances, I feel. And I mean, it, well, where it gets weird on the Oscars is, as I understand it, except for Best Picture, all the people within the given field is who vote for it. So only actors vote for actors and only writers vote for writers and cinematographers and all that kind of stuff. So it's not like, so it's like you, you have to be a member of that community to give the recognition. So it does give some kind of credence to certain things winning the awards, but then also it's like, yeah, but then some of those things that do win, particularly best picture, like, you know, when it's Shakespeare in love winning over saving private Ryan or other stuff. And, but yeah, I, I I think he's good enough in this to be nominated. I don't know if he's better than whoever necessarily won or who was up in uh, 2016. It, it, it was he's probably yeah. Was it was the virtual Ali for uh, Moon. Well, he should have won, but like who else was up? Do you have well, yeah, but that's but that's best actor though because I would no, think I was Rag... best supporting actor. Oh, oh is it? Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. He what was... I'll say though is I don't know if Mahershala Ali could have pulled off farting corpse. He's a great actor, but I don't know if he would have fit. There's only movie. one way to find out. <laughs> Swiss Army Man 2. You asked for it. 
Listen, Mahershala, you got talent, but you don't have farting corpse talent. <laughs> uh, no, but the other uh, the other nominees that year were Jeff Bridges and Heller Highwater. Yeah. I don't even know that movie doesn't did make not it. see it. What? No, I don't yeah. know that. It was it was good. He didn't need to win for that. Lucas Hedges and Manchester by the Sea. So very uh, yeah. sad movie. Yeah. Uh, Dev Patel and Lion, which I didn't watch. Didn't see. And Michael Shannon in Nocturnal Animals. Which uh, I love Michael Shannon. And honestly, he might have been able to pull off Farting Corpse. I, I, love, I love Michael Shannon. I watched Nocturnal Animals and I remember just being kind of disappointed by it overall. I don't know if Shannon was like amazing in that i think he's probably been better in other stuff so you're, so you're saying radcliffe, radcliffe yeah. should have yeah. won yeah. i'm saying i'm saying <laughs> if he was nominated it would have been deserved yeah <laughs> but i don't think the academy would ever nominate farting erection corpse daniel radcliffe uh and we have that get, uh, we did get the best supporting actress nod for borat this year which was not that yeah far. yeah yeah, that's that's a nice yeah. step in the direction. I was well, hoping she would win too, because that would have mm-hmm. been insane. Uh, so, in terms of uh, like one of the questions I always ask, uh, like in the prep stuff, is like why do we think this? Uh, why why do we think it connects with people? The film itself, uh, so any film, why do we think it connects with people, or why didn't it catch on more? So this movie cost three million dollars, which is very very low. for even like an indie kind of thing you know you could be looking at like 10 15 million or something so like radcliffe and dano must not have been they they probably cut their salaries i I would think radcliffe but they still a minimum what's that even then they're still a minimum for like drag members starring in a film yeah so so three million and it made 5.8 so and then there's always like marketing costs which aren't factored in so it like may have broken even may have slightly not made money i don't know it's hard to say but um is there any question of why this wasn't a huge (laughs) rapturous success (laughs) i mean yeah i i didn't see it when it came out because i thought it was just the farting corpse movie like that's how it was marketed that's how it was told and like I'm like, I really wish someone would have told me. It's like, it is more than that, but it is just that. So, I don't know. I just wish I would have known a little more about it's it. It's Jess's fault. It's all my fault, guys. I should have seen it 70 million times. Yeah, I, I do think it got kind of that, hey, it's a movie about a farting corpse. And that was kind of the, now granted, that's what made me want to see it. Daniel Radcliffe's <laughs> Farting Corpse. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll see that movie. And then I was completely surprised at just how, like, you know, like we've been saying, how genuinely good it is and well-made. and How earnest they were in the and, farts. And how earnest, <laughs> yeah. There was such an earnest fart at the end. Um, yeah, I feel like we're all the problem because we were all like, yeah, it sounds like I want to see it, but not like I want to go pay $12 to see it. Right. Yeah, they couldn't get us in the seats. So it's our fault. Yeah, I I can't remember for myself. I think it was something I was vaguely aware of when it was coming out. I guess I I would have been coming for the point of like, I don't think I had really watched the Harry Potters other than to make the first one at that point. So I had no connection to Daniel Radcliffe at all. And then Dano, I I almost always like, or I think always have liked anything he's been in. 
and then I would have noticed like the cinematography being good. But I think another factor too is like sometimes these things. I mean, it, it was it made for three million dollars. Is definitely like an indie thing. They don't always get super wide releases. Like you have to find the theater. I mean, I live in a city, and everybody mm-hmm. here you know lives in a city where they can like get to. But like you know, if you're just in a smaller area, that's not going to show. And even where I'm at. I would have, you know, out of maybe 10 theaters, maybe one or two are going to show it and maybe for a couple weeks, possibly, you know, maybe longer. So it's like, you know, maybe I was just busy those weeks or just like not on my radar to the point of I know when it's going to come out. Because if I was aware of it, uh, I would have probably been willing to go. But yeah. Yeah, And also, I mean, just subject matter wise, before it got the buzz from the film festivals, I was reading, again, I was reading some stories about it today where people were walking out in the first five minutes at some of yes. the film festivals. At Sundance, there were people yeah. walking out at Sundance, which I like, I, I can understand it happening at like some small town theater, but like Sundance, like that's a fucking film festival with film <laughs> professionals. <laughs> That's like people who understand movies and can be like, oh, okay, you guys are going for something kind of different here. But like, nope, they're just heading for the door. It's like somebody let the movie in. There's got to be something going on here. (laughs) And Radcliffe, I read, was kind of bothered by it. Um, I mean, he didn't, I don't know if he was like mad or sad or anything, but he did, he was saying like, he thought it was like kind of the wrong move because he's like, well... I've never walked out of a movie because I didn't enjoy it. Like I would only walk out of something if it had offended me. Mm. And so he thought they weren't like giving the movie a shot, which I would say is true. Yeah. yeah. That's fair. I will say, good I time. Up, go ahead. I was going to, I was looking up to see when it was released and I'm sure it was a, a limited release, but they did release this like in late June. Oh, um, yeah, and just looking at it gets an Avengers movie or something. Yeah, yeah, I mean it, it was it was Civil War, it was Finding Dory, <laughs> it was like Deadpool, you know, all oh, these yeah. movies. Like it was a it was a big year. Um, it didn't really stand a chance. <laughs> yeah, because I, I was thinking, I'm like, well, you know, in Chicago, and like you guys live in all cities too. Like we all had the option to see it, but it's like, yeah. You just have to pick and choose sometimes because we have all the options. We can see everything, so it's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, Marvel won that weekend. Or and like... I did, I did see Civil War, and I did see Finding Dory, in uh-huh. the and Deadpool. Yeah. Like, what about yeah. Central Intelligence? I think that was like the same weekend. No, no, I didn't see that. Whoa, all right. home no. that well, I, I... not rock fans. Huh? <laughs> so what? What is this? You said June or July? It was like June twenty fourth, I think. Yeah. See, like even that, I guess, is a little weird to me that you would. Because everyone knows the summer blockbuster season now starts in, like, April, essentially. Mm -hmm. Like, they keep backing it up. So it's, like, April to at least through July. But for years and years, like, August into September has been the area of, like, oh, here's the quirky, weird thing that, like, catches on that no one saw coming. And we've had a number of those where, like, they've done damn good business by being kind of at the tail end of summer. And, like, all the blockbusters are kind of done. So like this should have been an August release, if you Poor ask me. Planet. It might have it might have done better, like after people were kind of fed up with action sci fi action stuff. Yeah, it came out the same weekend as uh, Independence Day Resurgence. So <laughs> if it had, if it had come out a few weeks later, people might have just been completely over any blockbusters after yeah. <laughs> seeing that crap. 
Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I mean that movie wasn't good, but yeah, like that's that's like a sequel to a famous property. So you like, want to go? Yeah. Into that, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, maybe just poor marketing is the culprit here. Also, us. Well, just the well, Jess, when when <laughs> you were on uh, Booksmart, wasn't that kind of a similar thing? Like we talked about. Booksmart wasn't really like we were saying how it would have made sense as like back to school like August or September, but they released mm. it at like a super weird time where it would have been competing with like, and it didn't do well, and it was yeah. competing with like big stuff that of course obliterated it. Yeah, I can't remember what it was competing against. I'm sure another Marvel property or something. And yeah. then also when I did Winnie the Pooh, like that came out yeah. against Harry Potter or something. Yes. Like, same weekend and it was, it was like, like deathly hallows who is planning this yeah <laughs> yeah the disney, disney one was doing? insane yeah that they they put it up against harry potter yeah so yeah that's all, all right. i blame it on i think i'm gonna encourage people to see it oh that's your next question isn't it damn yeah uh would you recommend <laughs> go for it jess would you recommend swiss I army do, man i do recommend it because i think it is I mean, it's super weird, but I think everyone kind of knows that already going in. If you lived in the pop culture verse, like, you know, that this is the farting corpse movie. But I think that you have to let people know that there is a solid story. There's, you know, solid acting. There's just everything about it is just so well made. And I think it's worth seeing because of that. And also, like... Yeah, I think it's just very endearing and so and very funny. It has everything. So yeah, go see that farting corpse movie, y'all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think uh, everyone can probably guess where I stand, but um, there wouldn't really be anyone I wouldn't recommend this to. I would even tell my mom to watch this, and she'd probably hate it. But <laughs> you know what? I don't care because this movie I, I just really, really enjoy, and I think if you're going to if you're going to ask Jimmy for a movie recommendation, this kind of sums up what's in my wheelhouse. <laughs> you get what you deserve. Yeah. If you like this recommendation, then come to me for more, because I, I got some other ones I can give you. <laughs> oh, is it my turn? I feel like I didn't think I would ever watch this movie a second time. I thought it was the kind of movie where I would watch it, and I would say, okay. Uh, I didn't waste my time having watched that, but nothing's going to bring me back to it. And I think that goes back to kind of what I said, where I feel like there was an emotional core, but it didn't like leave me with anything or any questions to go back to or anything like that. But I will say, having watched it a second time, I definitely appreciate it more because I feel like the first time I was watching it for like the shock factor of it, and I didn't notice how well made it was underneath the farts and the boners and the amazing karate <laughs> chop action. Those shots are so much fun. The popcorn uh, montage. So yeah, I think having watched it a second time, I honestly am more on board with it than I was before, but I still, you know, there's a lot of movies out there to recommend. Um, so if someone's looking for something offbeat, I would definitely throw this out there. Um, and so, Or if someone's saying, should I watch this movie? I would say yes, but you know, I'm not going to go around and be like, you got to watch Swiss Army Man. Uh, I think it <laughs> takes a certain sensibility. and uh, and and. But like I said, I it's once I got past the shock factor of the first time through, when I was watching it for the novelty of Daniel Radcliffe playing a farting corpse, 
um like it is there's a really solid core under there and uh and i i certainly appreciated it the second time through more than i did the first time chris swiss army man or the apple which do you recommend oh let's see Chris was on our recent episode for the Apple, which uh, most of us suffered through. I did the other day try to look up, uh, just so we could do more Apple content, I tried to look up the soundtrack on Spotify to play a song for my wife as a joke. (laughs) And uh, not on Spotify, the Apple soundtrack. Unsurprising. Um, Yeah, for myself, Swiss Army Man, uh, I'm kind of similar to Chris in that, yeah, it it was a movie that I watched and I enjoyed. And kind of the bar for me is always like, well, would I buy this? Meaning, like, would I want to, like, watch this again and again? Do I see myself, like, in a position of, like, wanting to revisit? Because there's plenty of movies I'll watch, like, one time or give it another shot some other time. But it's just sort of like, oh, that's good. I get why people like it, but it doesn't necessarily connect with me. That's kind of where this one landed of, like, I enjoyed it, I appreciate it, lots of good stuff in it. But yeah, I wasn't, like, 100% of, like, is this something I want to, like, revisit, you know, over and over again. Um, And I kind of felt that way after finishing the movie this time. But I will say, in discussing it, uh, particularly with Jimmy here, uh, who's a huge champion of this film, he might be pushing me more toward uh, appreciating. I I'll have to think about it some more. Maybe watch some clips and see because um, I do appreciate the weirdness and I appreciate the, as we said, the earnestness to the weirdness that they they took it all absolutely seriously and they approached. I mean, they approached it as though they were making like an Oscar caliber film but they did it with the dumbest, weirdest premise you could put on the page. So it has that artistry behind it and that seriousness behind it, but then just an insane concept. But yeah, when everything comes crashing down near the end and you know some stuff kind of changes things up and it, it gets more interesting, but yeah, I'll have to think about like, the ending and in relation to Dano's character and, you know, some of what the film might be arguing. Cause I think that's kind of the thing I struggled with the most of like, all right, well, all this is neat and well done and weird, but is it saying anything particularly coherent other than Paul Dano is a sad weirdo in the woods. Um, but I think they're probably, you know, there's probably some things that uh, are buried under there. And I think we unearth certain things as we uh, went along here. So yeah, it's telling um, people to just love themselves. Love and I didn't talk about it enough, but just to make this podcast even longer for no reason, um, <laughs> all of the lessons that Dano is teaching the corpse throughout the movie are like the things that he needs to know to survive in the yes. real world. Yeah. And I think that's the real emotional core of the movie is him like teaching himself how to get out there and survive. And so when it all comes crashing down, it makes it even more devastating that um you know you know he knows what he should be doing out there but just his his mental state doesn't allow him to do that Mm -hmm. yeah so it's uh it's a recommendation for me uh i would not recommend this to my mom i would maybe recommend (laughs) this to jimmy's mom just so that she could better understand him but uh, my mom gives me a, sends me a text. This guy Linton told me to watch Swiss Army Man, <laughs> and you said yes, do it, mom. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, I I, I do think there's going to be people who are going to be turned off by the premise, or just weirded out, or just find the movie to be weird for weird sake. 
Um, I'm not saying that they're right, but uh, that would that's where I would be like hesitant in recommending it. And just you know, if you're super into movies and you don't just watch you know a couple you know handful of things a year, and you like to see things that are new and different, which pretty much anyone listening to this podcast is likely that, then yes, absolutely. Um, I would recommend it to you, but for the people that, you know, just kind of like casual movie fans, I can understand that they wouldn't be like all about this. So anyway, but yes, so it's a, in general recommendation, I think it is good and has a lot of positive stuff in it. All right. Uh, which uh, leads us to, can I find this? This movie is everywhere. Um, so even though it didn't make very much money, the fact that it has a couple big, well, three, like fairly big actors stars in it uh likely means that you know a lot of these services can uh can tout that so hulu voodoo itunes youtube google play apple tv amazon prime and i saw many others on the list from like lesser and weirdo sites so you can get it uh, just about anywhere and then it is on dvd and blu-ray as well so if you want to track down swiss army man plenty of places to do that it's also on Showtime for the dozens of us who have access to Showtime streaming service. <laughs> I saw that as well. I uh, I was unaware that they had that. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, all right, so that wraps us up for the Bizarre Swiss Army Man. But we will be back next time with a film that I don't know is as bizarre, but has at least some equally bizarre elements and that is the 2003 i believe film tiptoes so i'm not going to review anything else on that but we will be looking at tiptoes coming up next